Welcome to Read This Fucking Book, Episode 2. I'm Elena. And I'm Rachel. And we are here tonight to talk about Winter Rose by Patricia McKillop. Um, Before we get into the nuts and bolts of the book, uh, I should mention that it is originally published in 1996, and it was a nominee for both the 1996 um, Nebula Award and the 1997 uh, Locus Award for Best Fantasy Novel. Is that what it was? Yeah. Okay. Um, And then there was also an award that it got uh, nominated for, which I'd never heard of, but sounds pretty impressive, the Mythopaic Fantasy Award. Um, So while it might not have been a winner, it was at least shortlisted and apparently impressed people. So all that said, uh, Rachel, do you want to attempt to sum up what this book is about? (laughs) Sure. Um, And how do I say her name? Is it Royce or Rose? I say Rose. Rose. Okay. I don't know. I, I don't, I never learned French. I was a German learner. So I'm like, oh, and I, what do I do with this? Um, okay. So the book is about uh, a girl named Rose and she is the younger, the youngest child of a widower and his older daughter is named Laurel. So clearly there's a plant thing going on and it begins kind of near in like the fall and this mysterious guy comes to live in a dilapidated old mansion that's in town and he starts, you know, r- renovating it. And they find out that he's actually the son of the guy that used to live there as a child that had left. With The r- rumor is that he'd murdered his father because he was mistreated or something. And there was a curse on the family and he and he fled. And so this guy's coming back to reclaim his heritage. And as it moves, as the story moves through uh, colder and colder months, things get weirder and weirder. Uh, both of the daughters uh, fall in love with this stranger, and the youngest daughter, Rose, it has the ability to see sort of the fairy realm, and she likes the woods, and all of this weird fairy shit is going down, and she's the only one that can see it and she is obsessed with the curse on the family so a lot of it revolves around her trying to figure out what the curse even is and then maybe how to solve it and that is kind of the best i can do in terms of plot summary (laughs) yeah i would uh i would definitely say that especially if you're going for a spoiler free plot summary that's a good summary of it yeah yeah go me Uh (laughs) (laughs) um so what rachel didn't say and which we're going to talk about because we're an all spoiler podcast all the time um is that this book is actually a retelling of tam lynn which is a scottish fairy tale uh in the truest sense of the word it's actually about the the fae folk the fairies um and here's what's funny i actually did not make that connection the first uh time or even couple times i read this book which would have been back in my high school days yeah Um, well tam lynn's uh, pretty deep that's a pretty deep cut for a high schooler yeah, well, it's actually a pretty deep cut in general because I didn't make that connection reading it this time until you had finished and were like, yeah, that was a Tamlin story. And I was like, <laughs> holy shit. Yeah, it is. So reading it with that in mind or finishing it with that in mind, actually, um, I, I don't love it any less, but I'm slightly like, let it's, it's, it's off its pedestal because the first time I read it, I thought, oh my God, this is a truly original fairy tale and it like blew my mind. So knowing that it's actually, in fact, not... I'm like, okay, it's still really amazing writing, but yeah. It's, well, it's not the thing, the, I mean, the thing that tipped me off that it was a Tamlin story is the 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 line that she had to hold on to him no matter no what matter his what face. 
Yeah, no matter what form he took or Yeah, whatever. I'm like, oh, yeah. it's Tamlin. That's, that's like, yes. the one detail that kind of made it through without being changed. Yeah. So if you don't know the story of Tamlin, essentially, he's a knight who gets trapped in the realm of the fairy queen. And a human girl um, is told that in order to save him, she must hold on to him no matter what form he takes. And so she's kind of battling the fairy queen for the life um, and soul of this knight. Um, And he gets turned into all sorts of monstrous things. But she holds on and wins his freedom. So yeah, she's not afraid of any gross monsters. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, he he had promised her that that, that he wouldn't hurt in this her. Book. But like, it's like hold on to him no matter his form. And I'm like, but he never changes. He's always just that guy. Well, it's yeah. It's it's Corbett. not it's it's not physical changes, but it's, yeah, it it's more definitely. character changes. Yeah. which is in in a way kind of worse. But yeah, I, agree. Um, I don't know. Do we do we want to just go there right away or build up to that? Well, okay, so. Let's go back because this is the you you know this is your book you assigned this book to me and I had never yes. read it before and I went in because of the title thinking that this is going to be um kind of like a, a Beauty and the Beast retelling or or uh, I forget what the what the traditional name of it is but the Polar Bear King kind of story or something like that and um, it wasn't yes um it was not but uh, I really enjoyed it especially the first half of the book and it starts out and I think as soon as I started reading it I was like texting you I was like oh this is amazing because it has such a poetic lyrical but dreamy quality to the prose that it it really makes you feel or at least how I felt when I was a teen girl who was misunderstood and saw the world for what it was and no one else did and you know kind of um not bitter but sort of blasé about love and and things like that you know Mm -hmm. so I really connected with it I really connected with Rose I thought that she was very likable and easy to understand and that is kind of where I was then left on my ass because (laughs) things started happening and I was like wait what what's happening huh and he and I thought I thought she was the heroine she should love him and he should love her and it's like didn't seem to be what was happening because her dumb sister kept getting in the way and cock blocking her and (laughs) like I just it was very I hated her sister for like the whole book I was like fuck this girl she's already got honey she doesn't need this dude and then like I started getting obsessed with things that are clearly not the point but like I want to know how Corbett makes money he kept, like, hiring everyone in the town to, like, work on his dumb house. I'm like, well, how, what's he paying them? He has nothing. He rode out of the woods, walked out of the woods. He has nothing. What, is it just IOUs? Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, well, may- maybe he found the uh, the chest of gold that his uh, grandfather had buried under the yeah. hearthstones. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> of course. So, yeah, so... Rose is, you know, one of those girls. She's not like other girls, and she's always out in the woods, and being weird and she doesn't wear shoes and everyone thinks that's endearing because she's not a woman yet. She's still very childlike in that regard, but her older sister is getting married and is very proper and knows how to make lace. (laughs) Yeah. This, I mean, this is definitely in some ways kind of a coming of age just because Rose is at that point where she's about to stop being excused for her sort of wild behavior Mm -hmm. and is going to have to make a choice. Do I truly like, choose to live outside of my society or do I start conforming to at least some of their expectations yeah and it's weird because her father's like not he doesn't that pressure does not come from him correct 
And he's not like, oh, you know, my oldest daughter's leaving me and I'm going to need someone to take care of me. He's like, it'll be fine. It's great. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, you, who's going to take care of you? Your cook? <laughs> well, um, yeah, I, I guess we should also uh, mention the kind of main cast of characters. There, so oh, yeah. there's Rose and then her older sister, Laurel, their father, uh, their mother's dead and Rose has like no memories of her. Um, there's Laurel's fiance, Perrin. Uh, mm-hmm. The housekeeper, whose name is Beta Beta, I say Beta, and then uh, Corbett Lynn, who's the one that comes to re- repair his house, and then various other villagers that kind of drift in and out and are mostly there to like give information, yeah, um, or or perspective sometimes just on like what the life in and around this village is. Um, so yeah, Laurel is the she's the kind of accomplished sister. She's what you know a a woman of. A, He's a, a good farmer. He's has ha, owns his property. It's extensive, so he's a wealthy farmer. Um, so she's what a daughter of that kind of house should be. She knows how to run the house and take care of someone and make lace and is proper and wears her shoes and braids her hair and is the prettiest girl in the village. And probably because she is such a, um, I don't know, poster child, the father hasn't felt a need to make Rose um, into anything like that or pressure her in any way because... Uh, Laurel just kind of stepped in when their mother died, even though she was very young, and took that part on. And so he's yeah. never maybe felt the, the lack. Um, I think it's also important to note that while Rose is wild and she's always out in the woods, it's, she's not a tomboy. Like, it's not yeah. a modern, like, I'm a tomboy and I reject all the things that, you know, are put on my gender. It's not that at all. She's, she's literally wild. Like, she can't mm-hmm. stand wearing shoes because she... Ha- it's like animal. Like she has to have her feet out and like touching grass and woods and yeah. And and the things that she's doing out in the woods, she's she's communing with nature. She's not not being a, a woman or a female. She's just she wants to pick the flowers and she knows where the herbs grow and where the, you can find the best nuts and the mushrooms and mm-hmm. just all of it. And so it's it's very much about her relationship with nature and just having a perspective on the world that's focused on the wild and on the beyond rather than, you know, the concerns of a medieval village. Yeah, and she has no regard for her appearance. I mean, by all accounts, she is pretty, but not like her sister because she doesn't comb her hair and she doesn't... Right, she's pretty, but not polished. Yeah. Um, And I think that's important because that's, like, where the fae part comes in, right? Like... Right. There's there's the the modern idea of fairies, but then there's, you know, the very old-fashioned idea of fae, which is People who aren't, they, at least in my experience, classically fey people are not concerned with human needs or human desires or human feelings. Right. And she struggles with that. Right. Very much. Um, and that's, uh, I guess that's one of the running themes of the book is the idea of, of what it means to be human. Um, that, I mean, it, it's actually, it's explicitly said in um, some of the, in some of the moments where Rose talks about, I don't know how to be human or, you know, you're mm-hmm. making me human um, because of these feelings that you're causing. And so it's actually going through this experience of sort of knowing Corbett and seeing her sister kind of mooning after the same guy that she wants. Um, In a very is, traitorous manner. Yeah. I okay, so, I, okay. So I guess we should also clar- clarify this. So Rose, Rose sees Corbett before anyone else in the village and she, you know, kind of has this moment of, I don't know, almost like soul to soul connection to him. And she thinks he's very attractive. But I think she's also well aware that, hey, 
I grew up in the village. I've known everyone here my entire life, and none of them interest me. So maybe it's just because he's shiny and new and right. different. Um, and so, you know, naturally her sister notices that about him too. But then as the winter goes on, her sister um, seems to almost like – well, not almost. Her sister falls in love with him, um, and he seems to be interested in the sister. At the same time, he has this kind of – interest in Rose as well and it's like he can't help himself with Rose but he's choosing her sister and trying to you know win her sister's affection um and so you know then uh Rose has to struggle with watching that and well I'll let you talk about the sister I think that it's I think okay so here's my beef with Laurel okay she's the perfect (laughs) older sister she's already got the best beau the bat you know the most eligible bachelor you know Perrin has a farm and he's building her a house and he's very attentive and is clearly like completely in love with her and adores her and comes over every fucking night to like play her songs on this dumb on the dumb uh, flute thing and like maybe get to kiss her on the hand so he's an artistic farmer. Let's make that clear. Yeah, he's, not, he's an artistic farmer. He's not just farmer. a farmer. He's, he's got an artist soul yeah, in Yeah, he has. He's a good guy. He's you know not like the shitty farmer guy. He's a good guy. Yes. Even even Rose thinks that he's the best. Yes. And then Laurel, you know, when Rose comes home and they're talking about Corbett because he's you know go- blasting through town like, hey, I'm here and everyone's gonna help me build my house. They're like <laughs> With fairy gold. <laughs> <laughs> and, he's, and Laurel's like, oh, really? Do you think he's attractive? It's like she's needling her sister to be like, hey, you know, is this is this it? Are you finally going to, like, go through puberty? And, right. <laughs> and you feel like she's being encouraged that Laurel's trying to steer her towards him. And, and her father is. and Yeah. And it's like, okay, yeah, we're all on board. We're all trying to marry off Rose. Okay, I see. And then suddenly Laurel's like, oh, but I love him. And she talks about it openly. Like, Rose tells her sister, I think I think I might be, you know, falling for this guy. And she's like, oh, yes, good idea. And then she'd be like, but I love him. And I'm like, what the hell, bitch? Like, back off. Right. So that is why I have beef with Laurel. Because she knew how her sister felt. And she did it anyway. Dropped, dropped poor Perrin. Just dropped him. And, the, and here's the thing about Perrin. He loves her so much that he's like, I'm still going to come around. I'm still going to come and, like, have you changed your mind yet? I'm still here. I still love you. You can't just get rid of me. I've loved you my whole life. He's so faithful. He doesn't get mad at all. Laurel yeah, doesn't he deserve just, him. I, I, I kind of agree, especially... Especially if the uh, the crazy fairy parts didn't happen. So I guess this is um, this is a good part point to bring that up. So in terms of reading this book, there is a really big question at the end of it, and that question is, did this happen or didn't it? Yeah. Um, and by by that we mean did did Rose actually have encounters with the Queen of Fairy? Did she actually have to like win Corbett's freedom from? the queen of fairies or was all of that kind of in her head and uh, maybe uh, not just like her imagination running wild, but also her making a story to explain some of the other events around her that she was really uncomfortable about um, and just, you know, took it too far in her head. And then um, it, you know, at the end, 
no one else really has a clear memory of what happened. She's the only one who does. So did it happen or was it in her head? Mm-hmm. Um, so um, in terms of of looking at it that way, um, if you if you think that it did happen, then Laurel's behavior becomes a little more excusable because, you know, you could actually say that Corbett, who was at that point still a creature of you know, the, the fairy land was, was exerting some sort of spell on her or using some of that fae kind of enchanting magic to um, to cloud her judgment and cloud right. her he's thinking. Right, he's those, one of those irresistible fairy dudes. Right. So in, in that sense, um, mm. if, 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 that, if a fairy thing happened, then maybe her behavior becomes explicable and you, under, you understand it and it's like, well, that's not actually a decision that Laurel would have made because that's not who she is. She was being influenced in a way that she had no control over or defense against. Mm-hmm. But yeah. if it didn't happen. <laughs> or it could have, I guess it could have also been, I guess my interpretation of that was not that it was Corbett, but that it was the, that it was the fairy queen. Possibly trying um, to cock block Laurel because she knew that she knew that Laurel and Corbett had a connection that could challenge her power. You mean Rose and, and Corbett I'm sorry. Did. Rose and Corbett, yes. Yeah, that oh take take the pretty sister because she's too simple to actually like. Right, and she can't me. see right. and she can't see Fay things. She doesn't have the eyes. Right. Yeah, that's actually a a good point because um because there's a moment when Rose is given the ability to sort of see the world that Corbett sees, and it's actually really creepy. It's this kind of shadow world where almost everybody is just a, sh- a shadow, and you can kind of see who they are, that they're not all the same person, but the only one that he can see clearly is Laurel, the sister. Mm-hmm. Rose isn't allowed to see how he perceives her, so we don't know what she looked like to him, but... Um, you know, if that's the case, is it because Laurel fulfilled some sort of template of the kind of maiden he was supposed to fall in love with to not break the spell? Um, or was it the fairy queen's influence? Or was her sister like so beautiful and pure of spirit or some, you know, bullshit like that? <laughs> <laughs> She's got to hold on to him. Um, yeah, I do like that. I mean, it's kind of... I'm, it's not pointless, but it is very sad to think that none of this actually happened because then the whole thing becomes a coping mechanism. So there's a lot of right. there's a lot of details, a lot of juicy gossip in this town. So when Corbett gets there, all the old folk in the in the town start to talk about this curse, and it's a weird curse, and no one knows exactly what the curse was or who what was said or what happened because no one was actually there. But it all seems to revolve around this idea that Corbett's father murdered his father so the grandfather who corbett apparently looks just like he looks just like his grandfather who was by all accounts a very evil man and so corbett's father and i forget his name because the uh terrell 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 right okay so terrell like killed his father and as the father was dying he said Something like, you know, what this will happen again. This will happen to you. You'll never have any children or they will murder you. Or there, there's a lot of like permutations of the curse, but it's all whatever that this will be revisited upon you. Yeah. So, you know, he leaves and then suddenly the sun comes back and everybody's thinking, oh, well, what's going to happen to him? Is he also going to be murdered or is there a ghost involved? And a lot of, it brings up a lot of details of the past and 
it seems, and it gets more and more explicit as the story goes through, but there's this question about Laurel, um, about Rose's mother, Rose and Laurel's mother, and how because Rose and Laurel are so different and because Rose is so attracted to the forest that perhaps her father is not her father. And I don't know if all of this is just like a big story to kind of help Rose come figure out why she feels so different or if there is a rumor that she's trying to squash or if this is really all just about the fact that she doesn't want to lose her older sister and she's making up all this bullshit because she's seeing her older sister. She's conflicted because she's seeing her older sister both turn away from this life that has been promised her by dropping Perrin, which disappoints Rose Mm -hmm. or but she feels, but then Rose feels guilty, right? She's like, well, I want my sister to be happy. I don't want her to stay behind. So it's all this like drama that she just kind of dredges up and creates to mm-hmm. come up for, uh, with reasons for all of this bullshit happening other than the fact that people just are inconstant. And I, I mean, I don't know. That's kind of sad. That's a sad, I'd rather it be a fairy queen and like, you know, powers. Yeah. yeah no, I mean, for, for me, I, I definitely read this book and the way my heart takes it is, all that happened. It was real. <laughs> but yeah. but it but it makes it a, a just a deeper reading experience to contemplate the fact that maybe it didn't. And it's actually a really impressive um, piece of artistry on McKillop's part as a writer that she can leave it that ambiguous while telling what seems to be like a pretty straight. This is what happened, but then like at the same time leave it leave you with such a. Um, even if it's not a strong question, but just the possibility of it, like you are left kind of like wondering. Um, But, you know, because I like fairy tales and I like the kind of high romance and the um, high stakes and the, I don't know that I necessarily like the idea of self-sacrifice, but like that Rose is willing to go to the, like basically walk through hell and back for a love that she doesn't, She's not guaranteed to get in return, right? Um, which well, actually she's doing it. We should talk about why she's doing all of this. Yes. Like, okay, yeah. Her so her sister drops her her fiance that she's supposed to be getting married to in the spring, and she starts pining after this Corbett guy. And Corbett eventually disappears, um, and Laurel begins to waste away. And that's when they start comparing her to her mother because apparently her right. mother was this vivacious beauty, and then one winter she just wasted away and died and no one knows why but she kept looking out out the window uh and that's what laurel does so there's this crazy story that you know maybe laurel the mother was also pining for a man that wasn't there there's some like there are some details about how the children do remember the mother taking um the young rose into the woods um and the father doesn't remember he's like no she never left the house which is like weird he says it like really strongly and then it seems like he doesn't want to talk about Mm -hmm. what his wife would do when he was out farming right Uh, (laughs) which is like oh it's so just like it's so sad but yeah so so rose thinks okay i'm gonna go get this guy back because if i don't get him back my sister's gonna die just like our mother did so she thinks that she's going to sacrifice herself to save this guy so that he can then come and marry laurel which yes, it's very nice of her. <laughs> yes, and um, it uh, 
in, in terms of what, where she's having to rescue him from, she, uh, so Corbett disappeared basically without word to anyone in the middle of the worst snowstorm in winter. And Rose, um, her perspective is that she's been like connecting with him in dreams, and she knows, um, and she actually gets pulled um, along with him back to the back to the fairyland uh, by the night riders and the sort of riders on the wind. Come with us, come with us, come home, come home. And he gets on um, his horse to you know, go back with them. And he, you know, basically leans down and offers his hand to her. So she comes. And so she hears the, the fairy queen kind of taunting him and saying, you'll never escape me. Um, you know, you'll never have your freedom. The best you can have is to bring a mortal woman here to bear you a child and die. Um, and so she, Rose feels very strongly that she needs to rescue him, partly because she's the only one who can, um, and partly because she does love him and she, partly because she loves her sister. And she's like, well, I can, you know, if I have to give him up to save my sister, it's worth it because I'll still have my sister. I don't know how to lose them both. Right. Whereas if she, if she doesn't act and he stays gone forever, her sister will die and Corbett will still be gone. So she won't have him either. Um, and she's like, well, if I won't have him either way, at least let me save my sister. Um, right. It's very... You know, it's very teen angst. Yes. So, such teen angst. Yes, but it's also very practical. Yeah. I like mean, it, I really cause... liked that that was her motivation, that the motivation mm-hmm. is more about, isn't just about a selfish love or a physical right. love or, or any of that kind of, like, the sacrifice isn't just for this guy that she kind of barely knows but feels really connected to. It is for her family. Absolutely. And that, that actually, you know, one of my discussion questions it becomes is this a love story? I mean, is it? Because it's kind of left ambiguous at the end whether she gets him or not. And I, don't, I don't really think it is because I think that's one of the reasons I, when I finished, I was like, huh. Because I'm like, well, where where was the declarations of love? And where was that, you know, those moments that you get between the two characters where they're like, ah, oh, I see the world anew. I can see you, you know, all that bullshit. I didn't get any of Which- it. It's actually kind of hilarious because I thought you might appreciate the fact that it's not necessarily a love story. <laughs> I'm dead inside, Alina. <laughs> um, actually, I am a huge fan of complete melodrama. That is my deepest, darkest secret. <laughs> well, now it's not that secret anymore, no, Rachel. It's like yeah. all, all, all three of our listeners know, <laughs> and I know. <laughs> I mean, I, that's why I was like, oh, you know, the, the language of the, and I don't think we've really talked about this enough, but the language of the prose. Oh, we're coming the back style, to The style. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, it's, it's so full of sensory, like, information, mm-hmm. but no language. Like, people will speak, but leaves will come out of their mouths. And it's like, oh, okay, well, what the fuck are they saying? So you don't get any of those declarations of love. You just get these terrifying mm-hmm. images of people who are half plant, half human, dead, alive. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, you know, like the ring wraith, you know, vision when Frodo mm-hmm. wears the ring, you know, and like they're spilling plants out of their mouths instead of words and yeah. And their eyes turn into weird things and people are turning to ice and there's people laughing and it's just crazy. It's craziness. Yeah. And it's ve- that part's very melodramatic. And the feelings that Rose feels are so melodramatic, but you don't get mm-hmm. any of that reciprocation from the guy. Like she just has to have faith that mm-hmm. he feels that way. Well, n- not exactly, because um, sh- there there are the moments where they 
are experiencing that connection. And she doesn't have proof that he feels it, but it, it's like she has moments where she connects with him and she can see like colors in his eyes and she can see emotions and yeah. like she can see how frightened he is or how de- like how desperate he is and how he just has nothing to hold on to. And yet he keeps telling her in those moments like and this is actually the the one place where it gets very beauty and the beastie um is don't leave me here don't leave me here you know right basically you're the only like i keep coming back to you you have to help me don't leave me and um so if she is go if she's willing to kind of go with it and say okay all this weird shit that's happening I believe it's happening that in that, in that sense, she almost has to believe that she does have that connection to him and that he is, um, you know, that he, that he does have emotions and that he is trapped and desperate and in need of help. But what makes it frightening actually is that when he becomes, um, when he puts on the the face where he's just a fae Lord, um, in a human body, like she can't tell he becomes like his hair changes his expressions mm-hmm. change and he does become that kind of hard cruel you know laughs at your mortal tears kind of um entity and and so that that's kind of the forms he starts taking that she has to hold on to him through at the end we we mentioned that at the beginning and kind of skated past it is it's not um he doesn't turn into beasts he simply turns into really awful versions of himself and it's basically dredging up every fear that she has that he is this cold inhuman you know cruel being or that he has no regard for her that that connection that she felt so strongly was just literally it was in her head and he's laughing at her and her pretensions and um yeah well because he's a man and she's a child right and i think that's like that's an insecurity that she has I mean, I think she knows that she's desirable because there are a couple boys in the town that have given her the eye and she kind of runs from them. Right. But, I mean, is is it that she's running from the fact that they might desire her or that she's running from the life that they represent? Because, you know, those would be the kind of farmers where, you know, you have 10 babies and you you know, you do the wash and the you make well, the, the dinner, and there's no time okay. to go wandering in the in the woods. There was that one guy that seemed okay. Oh, the, the uh, younger the, brother the, of the shitty guy. Yeah, the town the town player's younger brother. <laughs> yeah, the town player's younger brother. He seemed all right. He seemed like maybe yeah. he'd be a decent a decent person. He yeah. you know he helped a lot. He was always there carting things around. <laughs> he seemed to uh, to run into her while she was like coming out of some of the weirder situations and mm-hmm. like almost like, like maybe he might be stalking her a little. <laughs> maybe, but he didn't. But he didn't run from it. Like he wasn't totally freaked out by her waking up alone next to a dead body in the middle of a snowstorm right he was like oh let me help you or he didn't you know despite the fact that her hair is always wild she doesn't wear shoes and she's always wandering around the town he still kind of liked her so yeah not definitely not a gaston (laughs) (laughs) correct (laughs) um so um i I actually want to talk more about the uh, the language in this book because to me like that's it's one of the the best things about it. Um, and it, again, partly just because she manages to accomplish um, just putting this kind of dream, dreamy cast onto the, the whole story and creating so much ambiguity while being so very specific. Because um, mm-hmm. she does do a lot of things where she'll say, Rose saw the color of his hair. 
But she doesn't yeah, tell you what so the much. color is. And so is it like, you know, or she saw that expression on his face. Well, what was the expression? So you have to do a lot of inf- inf- inferring and reading between the lines. Um, but then also just the the language itself. Um, I'm sorry, hit my mic. Um, I pulled a couple of quotes that I just really liked. Um, and I mean, I'll, one of them was the opening just because it, from the first sentence, you get that kind of dreamy feel. They said later that he rode into a village on a horse the color of buttermilk, but I saw him walk out of the wood. Like, just that sentence. I don't know. It, it just, from the from the opening, you're like, okay, where's this going? Mm-hmm. I, was, I was kneeling at the well. I had just lifted water to my lips. Uh, the well was one of the wood's secrets, a deep spring as clear as light, hidden under an overhang of dark stones down which the briar roses fall, white as snow red as blood all summer long and it just that's you know that's a pretty like simple thing but then you get some of the weirder stuff um later in the middle of a snowstorm when i began to see again as wind sees or the moon i had drawn cold as close to me as death i did not feel it now any more than ice feels the falling snow again i saw the elusive faces of wind and shadow the wild riders of the night an enchanted wood flowed past us. Trees, embraced by ice, spangled the night with whorls of crystal branches. And, I don't know, um, yeah. at the end, you know, and that, that's just not great examples, but, like, the whole book is written that way, and it's just um, page after page of just weird, very sensory um, explanations. And You know, there's a lot of, um, like, juxtaposition of, like, what people say or what they hear mm-hmm. versus what they see and what they feel, uh, and right. a lot of those things, even in the same sentence, will contradict each other. Yeah. So you do really have to kind of choose as the reader what you're going to believe and what you're not going to believe. Yeah. And, um, you know, when it gets into some of the descriptions, like of the the, the fae folk or the fairy queen, you know, and it talks about, like, she could see in her eyes, like, owls in the night sky and, like, the blood of like the bloodied paw of a hair and you're just like okay so is this emotions moods or is it literally (laughs) like her eyes are kind of flashing these crazy images um flinty they're flinty (laughs) right (laughs) so um i don't know it just it it does kind of cast a spell on you and just kind of takes takes you to this really dreamy world and um it's, it's also some of i think the better um the better descriptions of the fae folk uh, that I've read, because if, if you if you look at the kind of old tradition, they are meant to be kind of inhuman and scary. They're these power, you know, they're powerful. You don't you want to lock your doors and be inside when the wild hunt is riding the winds. And um, it actually used to like winter used to be a time of terror because there actually you know was the belief that that was when they rode and you didn't want to be outside in the winter. You didn't want to be caught alone in the dark. Um, and so all the, t- the moments where she hears the crazy laughter and, you know, sees the dark riders and you can't really see the faces. It's just these impressions. Like it, Michaela captures very well, I guess that sort of terror of, of seeing something like that, mm-hmm. that you know, you're afraid of and you're utterly transfixed by and you aren't quite sure what you're seeing, but you know, it's bad. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, they're so weirdly sensory without giving you too much detail that you, 
Yeah, it's like having cataracts, but like being able to hear in high def or or the other way mm-hmm. around. Like everything is just so kind of crazy that I had a really hard time knowing where people were at any time. Like I'm very and I get that it's supposed to be dreamy and you don't know and that's the point. But I'd be like, well, where are they now? What are they doing? How did they get there? Like, they would transfer back and forth between right. like, the human realm and the fey realm. And I'd be like, well, was there a door? Because they talked about doors. But I, so in my brain, I'm like, okay, well, there must be certain doors. I'm like, no, there are no doors. Like, there's a there's a tapestry and it's a door. And then there's a well and it's a door. And, you know, the eyes are doors. And that to me is like, there's no rhyme or reason to the doors. And I would get frustrated. Right. But, well, and, and how she accessed them, like, it was different every time because, yeah. some, you know, sometimes it was while she was dreaming, but then she wakes up somewhere that isn't her house and, you know, uh, or she would do like she thought she left her house and then, you know, wake up in her own bed and she's like, but I know that I left my house and fell asleep somewhere else. Why am I waking up here? Why am I here? Yeah. And then there'd be, like, weird details where you're, like, like, but she had dirt on her hand or something. It's like, well, were you right. outside? And it's just so much questioning of what is real. And mm-hmm. oh, I, I got a little frustrated because I really wanted that moment somewhere in the climax that told me once and for all what's real. This is how people feel. Because that's, you know, that's what you're used to. Right. And you don't get that. And, I, I mean, it's masterful of the author but it's frustrating as the reader like I got to the end and yeah I was questioning if it had really happened but then I was also like okay what happens next winter right like <laughs> Laurel finally gets married to Perrin next winter is she gonna be like nope deuces I'm leaving again <laughs> is this something that's just gonna happen to her every year like there was no resolution to that for me right well and I and I again it um it kind of depends on how you're taking it. Uh, so if you go by the this didn't happen, um, to me, like Laurel, Laurel's whole episode reads as a fairly straightforward clinical depression. Yeah. And, you know, the mother clearly went through something like that, too. And so in that case, is it simply kind of a one-time thing? Because that can happen. Or is it going to be come back periodically like every few years or is it like a seasonal affective disorder kind of thing where every Sad. winter she, she, you know she's gonna they be just... um yes i did <laughs> i went there um which is you know the irony is that everyone thinks rose would be the one you know affected by that because she hates being cooped up inside so right. much but she just goes crazy her sister got sad <laughs> mm-hmm. um, well there's that and then there's the idea that that um like okay yeah she she might be just depressed but she's all she also might be f- pressured into a marriage that she doesn't actually want even if parents mm-hmm. great it's always right. been that's kind of been the plan since they were ch- small children right so that's gotta be a little i mean yeah you could that's the cold feet for sure mm-hmm. um but then Which, poor Rose, nobody set her up with anybody. It's just, I feel like she was neglected. Like, this is all just her being crazy because no one took care of her as a child. They just, like, let her ass sit in the woods and she, like, <laughs> came up with weird, like, crap. And then this, finally, this, like, pretty guy shows up who's probably way too old for her. And she's like, oh, maybe he'll, maybe he's a prince. And it's like, actually, he lives in a two-room shack. <laughs> and, like, and she's just 
trying to deal with the fact that, you know, like, yeah, her sister doesn't have any options and Rose definitely doesn't have any options. And then the one guy she did seem to think was kind of cute but was a shithead and she knew it marries, like, the town whore. And it's just, like, <laughs> she's very judgmental in that regard. Oh, no, no, no. She's, that wasn't the town whore, though. She was, it wasn't she, the town whore. It was the, um, it was the ugly one. And... The, oh, the town ugly. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, the ugly was a schemer, though, because she was like, yeah, ugly's been in love with him since she was seven years old. Like, he didn't have a chance. <laughs> but he's trapped now, right, in a marriage that he probably will still wander from, although he was doing okay. He seemed he to be wander. doing okay. So, I don't know. You never know, because maybe, maybe she went to a... Maybe she went to the Fairy Queen and got a love filter, or maybe she just has really amazing skills that yeah. no one else has. Yeah. You know, you never maybe know. Maybe he's really nearsighted. We just don't know. <laughs> or maybe he likes it from behind and she's got the best <laughs> ass in the village. You don't. You just don't know. <laughs> you just don't know. Yeah. But it seems... It's just, there's a lot of happening in this book that seems to me to lean towards it did not happen and she's actually just kind of crazy and neglected. And that's sad to me. It's sad. I want it to be this beautiful, you know, the Fae Lord. She saved him and they're in love. And, you know, I want, I want that. But that, it seems like if I believe that, I might be kidding myself. I'm going to offer you two pieces of evidence to the contrary, both out of the text. Okay. Uh, the first is the fact that he comes up with her mother's wedding ring and says, do you know whose this might be? Um, which... I get that her mother wandered in the wood, but presumably um, it would have been noticed and made a big deal of if her mother had lost her wedding ring. So the fact Mm -hmm. that he has it kind of says he got it from somewhere not entirely human Um, or that he's a grave robber and it's even worse, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say there's other (laughs) ways. But like in the uh, Occam's razor in this case says, no, he, he got it from the fairy realm and also the uh, um the fact that the hall is it the holly and or the ivy and the rose are completely entwined and still growing strong which right in the um that you know in the moment where they had their fey land wedding she you know the curse or prophecy or whatever was that they'll always be entwined and if you uproot one you uproot the other so uh, to me, that kind of implies that they're actually st- kind of bound and that he's like, hey, can, can can you come look at my garden? You're wearing shoes now. Uh, maybe you can mm-hmm. come look at my garden. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. I, t- I don't think it's a love story per se, but I think the implication is that they're going there. Right. Even though he doesn't I remember what so. she did for him. And maybe I that's know, for the best. That's the saddest part. It's the saddest part. I thought that... They at least would remember both things, but it's just her. So she's she's the bearer of that terrible knowledge. Mm-hmm. But and they didn't defeat the Fairy Queen. They just kind of, like, told her to fuck off. So she could come back. Well, in, in the sense of, I guess, defeating the curse on him and giving him the freedom to actually live a human life instead of being bound to the world of fairy. Right. So um, thwarted, maybe, not defeated. Just as long as they go fill that that well up with rocks or something. (laughs) Stop drinking out of that well. (laughs) Only weird shit happens. Yeah, so... um, uh, uh, I don't know if it's actually worth talking about the kind of magic 
elements, um, you know, because there's not really a whole lot that we haven't touched on. Just the the fact that there is maybe a fairyland and maybe she dreams things that actually happen, or maybe not. Um, was right, there any? Well, if if her father, it really is. Well, then I start getting scared. Like if her father really was a fae person, mm-hmm. are they related? Is it, <laughs> like, come on! It could be the like maybe his aversion to her was because he's like, oh no, you're kind of like my sister or my cousin or something. He didn't want to. He didn't want to have anything to do with that. Yeah, um, or maybe that he looked at her and thought. Maybe there's an enchantment on her too. So what good? What good is she? Like she's not going to get me out of this. That's true. That she was just a a lure for him to lose his way. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, I, oh, well, I don't know. You've you've mostly you've mostly convinced me. I would believe you more if there was some sex in this book. <laughs> that didn't happen. Yeah, there's. I was um, waiting. Even d- just, if it was weird, in tangential, like kind of loosely described lovemaking. Right. Despite Publishers Weekly claim <laughs> weaves a dense web of desire and longing, human love and inhuman need, there is no sex in this book. <laughs> there's no sex in this book. He loses a star automatically without there being any sex in the book. That's my rule. Which is kind of um, a hilarious take on it being a Tamlin story, since the whole thing was she goes into the woods a virgin and she comes out pregnant. Ta-da! Tamlin did it. <laughs> the trees. It was the trees. Which, although by by that, I guess that's what the the claim made about her mother is that it was the wood. So this is actually an interesting point because because. Yeah, when you, because um, we're talking about the how the curse is, everybody has a different version of the curse, and this just in another piece of sort of art, artistry to it, she manages to make each of the different curses come true, and yeah. it, it's both that you know that you're going to do the same thing that I did, or, and then you know a curse on the father that, um, ter- which would be Terrell then, um, that you'll die and have an unmarked grave, and no one will you know no one that you know will know you when you're gone or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the the last one that I specifically remember was I bequeath all to the wood, which, okay, so let's actually take that one. If Rose is the daughter of the wood, in a way, she is the one who inherits all of it, Lynn Hall and Corbett, because she is the wood's heir. So if it goes to the wood, it goes to her. So... There's another mm-hmm. piece of evidence yeah, for you. Yeah, that's pretty. I, did, I didn't actually notice that she had made all the various versions of the curse. There were at least three different ones that, yeah. came, that came true. Yeah, because she would go around talking to all the old people in the, in the village trying to get their take on things. I like yeah. that. That's really, that's another level that I hadn't, I hadn't thought about. That's really yeah. nice. And, and that, that might be the sort of thing that you pick up on um, with a reread um, yeah. more so than, than an initial, because I don't remember, like, specifically thinking that before. But, again, like, my before was pushing 20 years ago. And before, <laughs> before I had done a really, like, deep study of literature, I read differently now than I did when I was 16. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I'm uh, like, where's the kissing? Where's that part of the... Of the story. You're, you're the uh, anti-Fred Savage. This isn't a kissing book! I'm done! <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. 
Oh. Uh, you, you know, I but I, I do like that because it also implies that the curse was would never have been lifted because no one would have done all the work to find all the different curses that were out there. Right. Um, which, okay, so this is actually uh, the kind of final thematic theme that I wanted to talk about, um, which is it has to do with intuitive thinking and um, specifically like the fact that intuitive thinking is often about like seeking patterns and trying to find all of the information you can possibly like put into your thought web so that you can actually see the correct pattern and that Rose does this when nobody else in the village like they're all equally curious and invested in finding out like what happened to Corbett Lynn but yet none of them seem to think about it in the right way to actually start getting all of the information in front of them and looking at it in the right way um Mm -hmm. and uh this is i don't know it's it's a theme that i think comes up a lot in fairy tales um a few weeks ago uh terry windling windling uh posted a a blog um a blog or at least a couple weeks ago it went around my twitter feed um talking about this it was an essay from a book called brothers and beasts um which was an anthology of men on fairy tales. And the specific essay she pulled was Willie Vlouten's on the boy who could not be scared. And essentially he was, um, he talks about how the kind of, the idea of like the youngest son, or at least it's often the youngest son being like queer headed or like this just different, nobody understands him. He's kind of an outcast. He's a dreamer. He's a fool. He's all these Mm -hmm. things that like the world that he lives in just sort of rejects or doesn't understand. Um, and, you know, coming at it as an adult, he's like, whoa, that's it's about being an intuitive in a world of censors. And Rose, Rose is that she, you know, very much embodies that kind of looking beyond and the looking at things from a different angle and seeking the, the deeper questions and the deeper yeah, and she meanings. very literally has eyes that came from the wood. I mean, that's what the fairy right. says, who gave you your eyes. Yeah, the, these eyes that can see what others can't. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I just thought, um, just because that because that other essay was kind of on my mind as I read this, I was like, wow, that's a, this is another like right in line with that sort of motif. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's very classically set with modern emotions Mm -hmm. especially for the main character you know like i said i i very much identified with her Mm -hmm. she wasn't one of those you know princessy girls that you see a lot in in these kinds of stories you know if you think about it where it's like all they want to do is please their father but then they fall in love and they feel conflicted like she didn't care right (laughs) right (laughs) yeah she she didn't care Yeah, and 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 she also wasn't um, she wasn't an outcast from her society. Like they might have thought right. she was a little bit eccentric, but they also knew her and accepted her. It, like in their way, they did. And so exactly, um, it was I don't know. It, it was a lot more relatable an experience than the super extreme. Like oh, everybody hates me. Nobody nobody understands me. That YA can also veer into. Yeah, she's not like a Merida. Like her parents weren't. Yeah. It's like they weren't like, oh, if you could only just be a better daughter. It wasn't it wasn't yeah. like that. She wasn't trying to reject the life that had been handed to her at all. Like I think mm-hmm. she was trying really, really hard to be in it. Mm-hmm. Well as and- weird as she was. 
and you know, by the end, she she learned a few lessons over the winter. Whether, um, you know, it was falling in love, kind of humanizing her a little bit, um, or just seeing, I guess, the harsh reality that her sister might die and that she might have to step in and perform some of that role herself sometime. Um, or when mm-hmm. her sister marries, she you know might as well. And so by the end of the book, she isn't running wild and barefoot through the woods. She's riding a horse and has shoes on um, when she goes to say hi to the, you know, neighbor again. Oh, you came back. She Hello. just keeps going to his damn house. Like, yeah. Like, Where'd she go? I'm like, where do you think she went? Where? I wonder. <laughs> yes. She just like she went there at night. With She just went there during the day. She's digging around in his yard. Like, no one cared. They were all like, yes, keep going over there. That's fine. <laughs> well, you know, to, to your point about maybe they're trying to uh, marry her off. The father's like, please, go let they were like, Corbett oh, Lynn of Lynn Hall yourself? compromise you. <laughs> yes. No, they were. They exact, that's exactly what they were saying. She even got that advice from her sister. And then her sister's all like, oh, but I love him and I can't live without him. And it's like, what the fuck? What's your problem? Well, Laurel. I think it, by, the, by the point when Laurel was... Uh, saying that she didn't give a shit what her sister was up to either so yeah that's true there was a lot of selfishness a lot of like learning how to yeah yeah i it's a very layered story and i'm very glad that you had me read it because i probably would have thought i already had because of its title because it's kind of a generic title if you're like stuck in ya beauty and the beast retellings like me i have like 50 on my kindle right now so um I probably would have been like, yeah, I've read that. It's fine. But I, I hadn't. And it's really beautiful. And it was definitely not what I expected. Yeah. Well, so have you have you decided whether you liked it or not? <laughs> I I don't. I, I kind of like haven't. I, I liked a lot of things. It didn't. The first half, you know, I like the beginnings of stories usually so much better than I like the ends of stories. That's just true across the board. And I really liked the first half of that book. I thought. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is going to be great. And then, of course, it didn't go where I wanted it to go, which is, you know, that's fine. They don't have to go where I want it to go. I don't need all my itches scratched. But I think it will probably prevent it from being a favorite of mine. But I do I do really like it and appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I, I'm glad that you read it. And I don't know, it might be one where, you know, a couple winters from now, you want a nice, dreamy, like, yeah. midwinter book. You come back to it. And knowing what to expect, you might react to it a little differently. Because... I I, yeah. I loved it as much as I as I ever did, and you know it's weird because for as much as I love it and can and do kind of consider it like this is this is it's a literary fairy tale. It is for sure absolutely the kind of writing that I aspire to do. Um, I don't know that I've read it more than more than once, maybe maybe twice, but it just it made such an impact on me. I actually I think I've been kind of afraid to go back and read it because like. What if I was misremembering and it really wasn't as great as I thought? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> that yeah, is you do the sometimes. danger of this project. You know, because yeah. eventually we're gonna start reading things. It's like, yeah, I read that and I liked it. And you read it, and you're like, oh, I was wrong. <laughs> oh, Rachel, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was wrong. I mean, we're you know we're trying to start out with like all the good stuff, right? Like you know we're very early into this project, so we have a lot, we have a very deep shelf of like sure fire hits that we can give each other but eventually like we have to have like a trash month where it's just like we just trade our favorite garbage back and forth 
Uh Um, We're not there yet, but then we can really lay into each other and be like, what's wrong with you? What? (laughs) Why? What is this? It's it's either going to be that or we're going to be like, oh, God, we're closer than ever because (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know you liked this sort of thing, too, Rachel. Yeah, right? (laughs) But before we get there. Yeah, we have these beautifully, beautifully written masterpieces that really yes. make us stretch our brains. We have all these award winners that we have to read first, so we're not embarrassed <laughs> to be like, "Okay, now read this fucking book." <laughs> exactly. It's like where I like get on Twitter at like two in the morning, and I'm like, "Is anyone reading this book right now?" Because I really need to talk to someone about it. It's not good. Don't tell. Don't. I don't need to talk about how it's not good. But that I is part of the project. The <laughs> exactly. It is part of the project. So anything else that you want to say about the feels? You reread it. You w- it's, it's still just as good as you remember, though. Yeah. I mean, in, term- in terms of writing, absolutely. The only thing, um, and, I, and even though, you know, I, uh, I lost a little bit because it's not an original story. It's a retelling of a story I just didn't know back then. Um, I actually think that I saw more in it from uh, sort of a, an artistic perspective than I did back then. So I like it even better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's definitely, I think you're right. This is a kind of book that you probably need to read more than once because the imagery and the themes are so layered and so interconnected and, and juxtaposed against mm-hmm. each other. You, it's the only way to get a real appreciation of it. Yeah. Don't make me read it again though. Cause that's not the project. <laughs> Be well, like, okay, well, next do... week we're gonna read we're gonna read Winter Rose. I'm like, wait, no, no, this 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 would definitely be like you know next next December we uh we find a new victim and say you read this book we're both rereading it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. No, we're not we're gonna not do that. No, <laughs> we have too many other books to read. The world is, <laughs> is so full of good books. It is. Speaking of good books, I am here. Yeah, to what give are you gonna make assignment. me read next month? Yeah, so I'm going to give you something that's just as kind of hard to comprehend, maybe, as I had with Winter Rose. Um, okay. Beautifully written, but also kind of like, wait, what just happened? Uh, I'm going to give you something that's also winter-themed, uh, but we're going... Way back in time, instead of 1996, we're going to 1969, and I'm going to have us read The Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula Le Guin. Ooh, that's a classic. Yay. It's a classic. It's a super classic. Classic yeah. sci-fi. It's on the top. You know, it's 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 usually like the second, third, or first, you know, best sci-fi book. Um, mm-hmm. It's made lots of lists, so people have probably read it. But it's really great. I think it's really beautiful. It's also kind of a love story or maybe not Uh, we could talk about that but i think that you will like it uh but you will be mad at me for the names (laughs) (laughs) all right (laughs) i and i apologize for the names well i'll uh we'll we'll just we'll make a shorthand and do our best to uh use them when we're talking about it um, Not knowing who the hell's talking at any given time is the hallmark of 1960s sci-fi. It'll, it'll be great. Awesome. <laughs> um, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. That's one that um, I think at this point has maybe even transcended sci-fi and just become like a literary classic. And um, I mm-hmm. feel uh, I feel like a rube and like I have straw sticking out of my mouth that I've never read it. So let's clear that up. All right. 
Cool. See you next time. <laughs> All right. All right. So uh, I think I think we're going to. I think we're unanimous again on the verdict uh, that you should go read this fucking book. It's a Winter Rose by Patricia McKillop. Have at. Yeah. Okay. Bye, guys. Bye.